0: Well, good morning. It is Thursday, the 19th of August. I tell you that um, because I think that putting a marker on the calendar in terms of what is unfolding in Afghanistan is going to be important in our ongoing conversations, not only about things here in the United States and how things have worked themselves out or are working themselves out, but also in terms of the plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan they are posting prayers. I have been reading those prayers. I have been watching those videos. Uh, I have also been watching the coverage from Sat7, which is the media ministry in the Middle East that really does provide um, a, a lifeline to Christians in the region. It's, um, you can find them at sat7usa.org if you want to check out what they are saying about what is happening on the ground in the region of the world that you know where they spend all of their time. So I wanted to read, uh, I wanted to lift up just some verses from the Psalms that our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan are lifting up today. And so in the spirit of the unity of Christ and the Word of God being the salve to which they are turning right now, I thought we would turn there as well. Psalm 27, verses 1 to 3, God, you are my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? You are the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumble and fall. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Psalm 27, verse 8. This was uh, read in a video by uh, by a a Christian woman um, who just acknowledged that at some point they're going to come for her. The Lord protects and defends me. I trust in him. He gives me help and makes me glad. I praise him with joyful songs. Psalm 91, verse 2. God, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are my God in whom I trust. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. Uh, and this was a, <clears throat> a young father standing with his children um, outside and um, looking to the, the mountains surrounding his home, recognizing that they don't have anywhere to go, and even if they could, they have no way to get there. I look to the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help will come from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where in the word are you today, my friends? Wherever you are in the world, God is with you. God sees you. God loves you. God is good. And God will not abandon you. Ben Johnson, and I will be back in just a moment. This is my right. My right. Ben Johnson joins us again today. You can find what he is writing at DailyWire.com. Ben, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. We're going to talk about freedom. Uh, I thought that maybe we would talk about freedom of conscience. We have these freedom of conscience conversations a lot. Um, sometimes when we're talking about freedom of conscience and we're talking about doctors and nurses and people in healthcare, we are talking about the challenge that Christians face in these environments when they do not want to do something like perform an abortion or participate in um uh, in those procedures however this conversation now about the freedom of conscience related to people in the healthcare profession um seems to be turning in a little bit different direction so they don't want to treat people who are unvaccinated tell us what's going on
2: that's exactly right there are several people who uh, are in the healthcare profession who have said that If someone comes to them and they have not received the COVID-19 vaccine and they're eligible to receive it, that uh, they are no longer to serve as their doctor. Uh, In particular, Dr. Jason Valentine of Mobile, Alabama, he sent uh, his patients a letter telling them that he didn't want to treat anyone who's unvaccinated. Uh, In the letter, he says COVID is a terrible way to die. He says he doesn't want to see anyone die from what is an eminently preventable disease. Uh, So he said, if you you can either if you are currently unvaccinated, you can get the vaccination or I can transfer your medical records to another doctor of your choice. Um, That's that's the doctor side. Uh, There's also an issue in Washington state with uh, a gentleman who was on television last night named Sam Allen. He was uh, taken off of the organ donor list because he was not vaccinated. Uh, This happened back in June. He has multiple heart conditions. It's kind of a heart-rending story as you read on that he already has a hard time breathing. Uh, he is online for heart transplant and he was removed from that list because he was not, uh, he was not vaccinated. The exact letter says it was due to, uh, quote, the Heart Transplant Selection Committee's concerns about compliance with COVID-19 related policies and recommendations. They say, if you ever change your mind, we'll reconsider. So here you have someone whose life is literally being denied uh because you know the, the the by a group that has the power of life and death in their hands because he refused to take a, a vaccination uh now he's undoubtedly in a group that would be high risk but um really i think what what it comes down to here we're talking about medical rights and medical rights of conscience Doctors have medical rights of conscience as much as anyone else. They have a right to abstain from participating in certain kinds of activities or treating certain kinds of people. However, a doctor takes an oath, the Hippocratic Oath, says first, you know, the, the shortened, condensed version of it, the popularized version, is first do no harm. Now, are they doing more harm by denying treatment to people and delaying treatment for things that could cause certain diseases to go undetected For a longer period of time could cause certain things to metastasize longer without their treatment. Uh, Are they doing more damage by not treating someone than they are telling them to be vaccinated?
0: I think this is going to be one of those um, unfolding conversations. And I, I suspect that, you know, in the end, there's going to be lawsuits related to it. And so I thought teeing it up this morning with you would be particularly helpful. Um, I I think that the elective surgeries, you know, I'm I'm going to use that term, um, that have been done and and are increasing all the time related to the removal of perfectly healthy um, sex organs and body parts for people who are gender dysphoric uh, and the willingness of doctors to do, plastic surgeons to do real harm to real people who are really suffering from – a depth of 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 delusion that is on, on just in and of itself so painful like i all of these conversations need to somehow be had together in terms of where we are um with doctors today in america like it's a it is a really challenging time to um not only know who to trust but to get really good treatment um that Uh, Yeah, I mean, you see you see my my conflict and the many streams of things coming together in these conversations.
2: Undoubtedly, Uh, these are very difficult, uh, ethical conversations to have. And uh, then there's always the question of what the role of government is. Uh, So, for example, one out of every three persons uh, in the United States receives their health care through Medicare or Medicaid. That doesn't include children who are on the uh, Children's Health Insurance Plan, the various CHIP programs across the country. If the government were to mandate this, how would that affect? Would it, would they say, we will not cover your medical bills if you do not receive this? And uh, that would certainly be within their rights. Undoubtedly, there would be a, a medical, uh, I, I should say, a legal challenge to that medical order. But uh, they would be within their rights to set parameters for a nationally federally funded program that takes care of so many people and so many people are so deeply reliant upon it. So I think it behooves us to get a very clear idea of what ethical boundaries are necessary, what surgeries are elective, what surgeries are necessary, and what surgeries are damaging to those who receive them.
0: Mm. Well, and then as soon as you say, you know, that which is funded through Medicare or Medicaid, um, and I mean, immediately then my thought goes to what the president announced yesterday um, with relationship to, you know, you cannot, you're not going to be allowed to continue working in a in a healthcare environment, particularly one serving the elderly, if you have not been vaccinated, like we're you know we're we're already have a staffing shortage in many rural um, communities where elderly people are cared for in assisted living and nursing homes, and they're going to lose their jobs because they're not vaccinated. And then who's going to care for those people? Like I, you know, it's like do you do the math in advance when you say if you're federally funded? we're, you know, you're going to lose your job. I just, the whole thing is such a mess. And I thank you for, thank you for just entering into it with me this morning. I recognize these are not thoughts that for which I have good conclusions. There's just a lot of them bubbling up to the surface right now. And I just feel like we got to start talking about it.
2: Sometimes the question, posing the question itself is uh, the first step along that route. And I, I think that uh, we're, we're moving along the right direction. You know, I, when it comes to COVID-19, of course, it's it's in a condition from which most, you know, the vast majority of people live. No one wants to be intubated. Uh, no one wants to be treated in any way that is unnecessary, and no one should take a chance. But uh, for those who are deciding to take a chance, if they're being denied medical treatment, or if they can't get medical treatment even though they're vaccinated because there's a shortage at their local hospital, there's no one in the emergency room to staff it because those people have been fired then the ramifications and the moral ramifications of what's happening uh, are important. So it's very important, as as economists always say, we have to see what is not seen, which is the further ramifications. It would be good if all those who uh, would benefit from the vaccination would take the vaccination. On the other hand, there are very serious ramifications for a shortage uh, and, and then firing people on top of a hiring shortage in healthcare.
0: All right, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. And yes, we are going to wade into the thorny topic of mask mandates. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we've got Ben Johnson here. He is the rights writer. You can find what he's writing at dailywire.com. Uh, Ben, you and I are going to talk about mask mandates, but we are not going to talk about uh, really the two sides of the debate. What I really want for you to unpack for us is the conversation about public education, the role of parents, the place of of local school boards, and then like state governors, and then like the Department of Education. Everybody is now involved in whether or not uh, my kid wears a mask to school.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's subsidiarity turned upside down. Uh, it's, this is very much a, a top-down idea. In uh, if you, we'll, we'll begin at the beginning, which is that a lot of parents have concerns about the, the effect of masks on children. Obviously, they have a lot of concerns about spreading COVID-19. Children who are 12 and under cannot be vaccinated right now. There's there's no authorization for that. So they, the next recommended step is for them to wear a mask. However, for young children, There are a lot of parents who say, in in my case, uh, you know, my child might have asthma and uh, so my child should not wear one. School boards then, particularly all over the country, like in Metro uh, Nashville public schools, uh, forwarded a mask mandate saying all students must wear a mask while they're on public school uh, grounds, while they're engaging in public school activities, while they're indoors. In uh, several states, and Tennessee happens to be one of them. The governor, in this case uh, here, Bill Land Lee, a Republican, wrote an executive order that allowed for individual parents to opt out of those guidelines. So if you're a parent and there's a a mask mandate at your local school, but you think it shouldn't apply to your child, that your child is a special case uh, or your child is more threatened by the mask than they would be by the spread of COVID-19, then you're allowed to to, uh, say your child will not wear one. And now uh, at the very federal level, you have... You have people speaking out, of course, uh, uh, Joe Biden has said uh, several times now that uh, if you're not on board with what we would like to do, which is a mask, uh, masks across the country and uh, everyone getting vaccinated, then you should get out of the way. And he's particularly talking about, uh, in his mind, first and foremost, Ron DeSantis of Florida, but also Governor Greg Abbott, who's right now uh, recovering from uh, COVID-19, we hope and pray, uh, even though he's been fully vaccinated, and Bill Lambly and others like that. So... Uh, you, you're seeing this one level after another, reacting one upon the next. And it, this should really be handled at the local level. Uh, it, 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 the greatest degree of specificity, the greatest degree of knowledge, people who are, who are acting, the further removed that someone is from uh, the situation, the less knowledge they have of concrete and specific facts of the matter. If someone has a particular health condition, that uh, this may be uh, negative for them. On the other hand, uh, an article that uh, you were kind enough to send me talked about a little seven-year-old girl in Nashville named Arlie Wolf. Uh, She was diagnosed with leukemia when she was just two years old. It's a heartbreaking, heartbreaking story. She finally got to school. She was able to go to school this past year, and she's in favor of the mask mandates. And uh, I hope that uh, parents who know that they're going to be in the classroom with Arlie would tell their children, even if you don't uh, fear COVID nineteen yourself, wear a mask for Arlie's sake. Uh, in exactly. That, in, in that sake, you know, so that would be an act of charity and love for other people. But it has to be specific. It has to be local, and people have to have the information.
0: So um, I sent you that in part because you know I have no doubt that that beautiful little girl is going to be used as the you know the poster child for mask mandates, um, and over and against what the governor uh, of the state is is saying. Um, and, and I also sent it to you, Ben, because I figured you would go exactly where you went. If you've got a kid in your classroom who is immunocompromised, like, be a good parent and have your kid wear a mask anyway. And it's it has little to do with COVID-19 and everything to do with the common cold. Like, I, you know, I'm in our family. Larry, my nephew, who's now a big, you know, senior in high school and uh, six feet tall. Um, you know, praise be to God. He didn't die of leukemia, but he did live through the the horrors of it. And his second grade class, in order that at one point in time he could come back to school, yeah, every kid masked up so that Larry could come to school. Um, and we would do that because that's the right thing to do. And it has nothing to do with COVID-19 and everything to do with the 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 way that one child is immunocompromised and what we're going to do because we love that kid. So I just think that as we have these conversations, we we have to like be sober and honest and recognize there's more going on than just this one challenge that we're facing. And and have a real heart conversation in your local community, in your local school, in the classroom about which you are actually concerned. And if you don't have a kid in public school, you know, is this even the conversation that you need to be engaged in in your community? Because there's a lot of other stuff going on where you could engage if kids actually in public school is not, um, you know, is not for you a, a personal family concern. Is that fair, Ben?
2: I think it's very fair. Uh, and as you say, I mean, this is, this is something that the people who are involved should be making these decisions. So parents, people who are in the classroom, I thank God for people who were in Larry's class who had the goodness and the charity to do that for him. And everyone who is in that kind of a situation should do the same. There's a big difference between a mandate and voluntary, uh, a voluntary disposition to help others. And really, to me, what this illustrates and underlines is that force is a poor substitute for love. The government mm. can pass all the laws in the world. Love will always go above and beyond anything that is demanded of it when the uh, the object of the love, in this case Arlie or in this case Larry or any other child whose health would be compromised, comes into view and is within the parameters of that person's love. They will do whatever they need to do to care for that person.
0: Amen. All right. You and I do not have time today to talk about the quasi-socialist publication and the conflict that they are having with their employees because their employees want to unionize but I did think it was right up your alley. So maybe you'll write about it and we can circle back around to it later.
2: That would be great.
0: (laughs) That's Ben Johnson. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can find what he's writing at dailywire.com. Ben, always a joy. Thank you so much.
2: Pleasure's all mine. Thank you.
0: We'll be right back. All right, we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago ago with Linda Zanachko from He Knows Your Name, Um, and it was a great conversation and wildly popular, and thank you for all of your positive feedback about it. Um, One of the things that surfaced in that conversation was uh, the Safe Haven Baby Boxes. And so next, we've got Monica Kelsey from Safe Haven Baby Boxes to talk with us about What that is and why she's doing it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: Whose side are you on? I mean, when it comes to family dynamics, are you for your kids or against them? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. So, mom and dad, you've established rules, you've agreed upon consequences, and communicated the expectations to your kids. But what have you done recently to communicate that you're all on the same team? Sometimes it's good to give your child something you've withheld for a long time. It'll show her that you are for her, not against her. Surprise your child, and she might just surprise you with her response. We're all working toward the same goal, to end up with a well-rounded, independent young adult. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to parentingtodaysteens.org, parentingtodaysteens.org, or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
0: We often describe ourselves as pro-life. You guys know I describe myself as pro-life from natural conception to natural death. Uh, But what does that mean? What does that really mean functionally in our lives? Monica Kelsey joins us now. Her ministry is Safe Haven Baby Boxes. You're going to hear me direct you several times to the website, SHBB, Safe Haven Baby Boxes, SHBB dot Monica, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, guys. How are you? Well, I am blessed to be talking with you today. Um, I am a fan. Tell people what a safe haven baby box is and why we need them.
1: Well, you know, the safe haven law has been around for the last 20 years where a woman can walk into a fire station or a hospital and hand their uh, newborn child that they don't want or can't care for Uh, to a worker there and walk away, no questions asked. And in the last 20 years, we've had 4,700 babies come through our program. But when you look at how many babies are being saved versus how many babies are still being dumped in trash cans and dumpsters or left at the doors of safe haven locations, you have to ask yourself, why are we still finding 2,500 babies over the last 20 years when there's this law? And so 2,500 babies have been illegally abandoned in the last 20 years, even though we've saved 4,700 babies. And so I came up with a concept where women can get 100% anonymity. And the, you know, the, the, the law for the last 20 years, you had to hand your, your child to a person. And so what I've done is taken that step out. Uh, you don't have to hand your child to a person. You put your child in an electronically monitored box that actually calls 911 on its own. And so if you don't want to look someone in the face or you don't want to talk to someone or you're scared or whatever the situation is, this box will alert personnel. Uh, your baby is going to be safe inside and you can walk away, no questions asked. Um, and like I said, the box calls 911 on its own. So mom really doesn't have to do anything except place her child inside and walk away. Uh, average time for babies in our boxes are right at two minutes.
0: It's um, it's really incredible um, I I had lots of questions and so I read lots of articles and lots of um, testimonies um, and I read one um, it's 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 out of Indianapolis and uh, the headline is behind the box a mother's story of surrendering her newborn out of love. One of the things that you know I discovered in reading that is, yeah there's this way for her to not be seen, and she talks about why she did not want to be seen, but I also okay. thought it was beautiful that she shared that she wanted to see like so she still like watched at a distance and timed how long was it before somebody you know opened the box and got her baby and um you know, and so she was assured of that working, and then she also availed herself of the um of the counseling and assistance that was available via the Safe Haven Baby Box 24-hour hotline. And so there's more to this than just, hey, we're going to punch holes in the sides of fire departments and insert these physical boxes. There's a fully orbed ministry going on here.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm often quoted as saying that the baby box is not a good option. It's only a good option if it's the only option mom has left. And so we've referred over 500 women to crisis pregnancy centers where they just were in a situation that they just couldn't navigate through. And so, you know, our crisis pregnancy centers across this country do amazing jobs with women every single day. And so we've referred so many women to them um, that have made different choices. We've also done seven adoptions, um, you know, where women called us wanting to surrender in one of our boxes and we, we turned it into an open adoption plan. And then, of course, we've had babies in our boxes where mothers felt like this was the best option for them. And, and we're not going to judge them. We're not going to shame them. You know, I mean, if this is what they feel is best for them, then we're going to respect their decision to, to, to do what they feel is best for them, knowing that we've given them all of their options. Um, but, yeah, you know, the counseling is probably what we say is the workhorse of our organization. That hotline truly is the lifeline to safe haven baby boxes, because that connects the mother with the resources. And and if you don't have that connection, you're, you're not, these, these women are not ever going to get all of their options. You know, I mean, if I just put out there that, oh, yeah, there's a box at the fire station up the street, but never really gave any other options, people would think that, you know, that this was their only option if, if this was all I was advertising. And so we strive to make sure that every woman has all of her options before she makes the decision that is right for
0: her. We're talking with Monica Kelsey. You can find lots of information at the website for Safe Haven Baby Boxes. It's shbb.org. All right. So the Safe Haven Baby Boxes are located, um, it seems to me, primarily at fire stations. They might be other places, but those are the ones that I have um, that I have seen. How many states have them um, what's the next state to get them, and how does that happen?
1: Well, right now we're legal in nine states. Uh, out of those nine states, six states have the boxes. We've actually passed legislation this year, um, and we have not launched in these states yet. Um, but, you know, the, the process is, is is we have to normally change the law in, in these states to allow for an anonymous surrender option. Um, because most of the laws say that, you know, a woman has to hand her child to a person. Well, of, of course, the box is not a person. It's a device, a safety device. Um, but we changed the law in these states. And then, you know, that this is the, the amazing part is the firehouses in the hospitals are calling us. We're not going looking for these locations. You know, I, I'm a firefighter and medic out of Indiana. And I'll tell you, the runs that we go on, people will never truly understand how much they break our hearts and Mm. if you ever find a dead baby in a dumpster you you don't get past that and so the firehouses i mean this is abandonments have been happening for for years and years and years and some of these firefighters are in that situation where they have pulled a dead baby from a dumpster Mm. and so they're calling us saying i don't want to do this again you know what can we do to make sure that this does not happen and and so the the locations call us, now we do have boxes at fire stations and hospitals. I'll tell you ninety percent of our surrenders happen at, at, at fire stations simply because women trust firefighters. And and hospitals are, are pretty well lit, pretty well um, you know, there's a lot of people around hospitals where there's not in, in fire stations and you know, women get well, any anonymity. Fire, the I feel station. like fire
0: I feel like fire stations are like Dollar General, like they're everywhere um, or they're or they're like the post office, you know, and hospitals. I mean, you know, like you got to like map quest that like it's not or, you know, or Google map that like, you know, a lot of people, they don't necessarily know where the hospital, the closest one even would be to where they are in this moment. So, um, yeah, I think that the fire station option is awesome. Um So um, there is model legislation for those of you who are listening and are like, I want to move on this. I want this to uh, I want this laws to change in my state. I want women to be able to anonymously surrender their baby if that's if that's the point to which they have arrived. I want that option to be available to them. And this is a safe way to do it. It is proven. Um, Safe Haven Baby Boxes, SHBB.org. If you've been looking for a way to activate your pro life passions, this is a good one. Um, SHBB.org. You could look for model legislation and get the ball rolling in your own state. Um, I want to talk with you, Monica, about uh, why you are doing this. Like, it's one thing to be doing this, it's another thing for you to be doing this. So we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to ask Monica to share part of her story, which is chronicled um, in her book, Blessed to Have Been Abandoned, the story of the baby box lady. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Monica Kelsey's got a lot going on. Uh, Firefighter EMT, um, she heads up the Safe Haven Baby Boxes organization at shbb.org. She's also an author. The book is Blessed to Have Been Abandoned, the story of the baby box lady. Hey, that's you. (laughs) That is me. (laughs) So this is is like the story behind the story, right? So maybe, um, you know... I don't know, take us to Cape Town, South Africa, take you to your own story. Take us, uh, take us into the story behind the story.
1: Well, you know, for, for your listeners to truly understand the passion that comes from me, I have to take you back to August of 1972, you know, when a, when a young 17-year-old girl was brutally attacked and raped and left along the side of the road to die. And this, of course, was when abortion uh, was illegal in our country, even in the cases of rape and incest. And she pressed charges against the man who had raped her. He was arrested. He was charged. And then when her life was finally getting back to some normalcy, she she found out she was pregnant. And at the advice of her mom, she actually found herself at a back alley abortion facility in October of 1972. And while standing in front of the man that was going to take her child's life, this 17-year-old girl was strong enough to say, I just can't do this. And she left that facility and never looked back. Uh, She was hidden for the remainder of the pregnancy and then gave birth in April uh, of 1973 and abandoned her child two hours after that child was born. And that child was me. So my biological father is is a rapist, and I don't even know my ethnicity. Uh, But I'm still a human being, and I still have value, and my life is worth less simply because of the way I was conceived. and, And I truly didn't deserve the death penalty for the crime of my biological father. And, you know, so today I stand on the front lines of this movement, making sure that no child is ever discarded like trash, that that no child is ever put in an unsafe place because a mother uh, is scared or shamed or feeling judged, and and so I, I, I boldly stand and and make sure that women have a safe place to fall, you know, and and so. Knowing my history and being a firefighter in America, I was in Cape Town, South Africa, and I seen what they called a baby safe in the side of a church. It was the only church in Cape Town that had a baby safe. And and I happened to be speaking at that church that day. And so I was so intrigued by it. Uh, I wanted to know every, every detail of it. And on my way back from Cape Town, South Africa, on a Delta napkin, uh, I hand drew my vision of the baby box. And Um, You know, this had never been done in America before I was literally paving the way I had no idea what I was doing. I had, you know, I was, I was like, Oh, you know, Christ, if you're going to give me this job, you better give me the answers that I need, because this is going to be an uphill battle for me and, and he truly has, he has literally paved the way for me to, to be able to change legislation for people to trust me for women to trust me for fire stations to allow me to cut holes in the walls of their buildings. Um, you know, I mean, uh, if Christ didn't have my back, I don't, I don't know any mayor of a city that would allow me to cut a hole in a $7.5 million firehouse, you know, um, but it, it did. And, and Christ was, was with me the entire time and has it been challenging? Yes. Yes, it has. Um, but at the end of the day, we've had 12 babies in our boxes, a hundred babies surrendered to fire and, and medical personnel by our hotline by our our national hotline and i look back and i think how blessed am i truly to have been abandoned to have been given this job that christ thought that i was i was the strongest one to to, you know to, to do this job and so um so yeah
0: this is um it's such an incredible story of redemption and the way god um still magnificently uses what um, one person meant for evil, and God has absolutely used it for good and is using it for good. Um, All right, so there are some questions rolling in. Um, What's the next state that really needs this? Where are most babies abandoned? So you can actually go, this is interesting, because you can go to the Safe Haven Baby box website, shbb.org. And under the resources tab, you can actually see the list of states where yeah. um, babies are most frequently abandoned. And so it looks to me like Texas tops the list. And I think of Texas as a pro-life state. So Texas, it's time, it's time, to, it's time to get up to speed on this, man.
1: Yeah. Texas, California, New York, and Florida. Those are your main states. Uh, y- y- well, Illinois as well. We just had a baby in an alleyway found uh, on Sunday morning and Mm -hmm. this was this was a full-term baby left in a dresser drawer of a old dresser that was being thrown away and it was trash pickup day and Mm -hmm. some woman just happened to be walking through the alleyway looking at this dresser because she redoes furniture and finds this abandoned baby in this dresser drawer you know thank god that she was looking for looking for furniture that day to redo um, but Amen. yeah, those are the main states and we need to get in there. And, you know, going, taking this one step further on a pro-life side of things, I mean, we've been praying for the end of abortion for a very long time. And, and I think that, you know, for such a time as this, you know, that, that these boxes are needed because what we've done is we're, 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 we're chipping away at the laws. We're chipping away at, at making abortion not only unthinkable, but illegal in this country. And but what we haven't done is change the culture. So we're still going to have, you know, babies being um, uh, born out of wedlock to mothers that didn't want their child or or didn't know what to do or or whatever. And so, you know, if you take abortion out of the mix, which, again, we've been praying for for a very long time, we still have a culture that is still um, having children at a rapid rate, unmarried, you know, uh, fatherless homes. And so you take the abortion out. And these women are, are forced to carry these babies, which, again, we've been praying for this for a long time. But what are they going to do if they've told no one, if they've told exactly. no one that they're pregnant? And so these boxes are going to be pivotal in this country when we finally not only make it um, illegal, but but unthinkable as well.
0: All right. So I want you to go and find out um, about who is advocating for not only safe haven baby laws in your state, but who is on the forefront of advocating that women have an anonymous um, surrender option? It, it We recognize that it's not a good option, but it's a really good option if you have no other options. It's the best option for the baby, and that's what we're talking about here, but it's also a really great option for the mom because she knows that she has surrendered her baby in a place that is safe, where that baby will be cared for, Um, Not just immediately, but in the long term, which leads us, I think, to the next question. What happens to the babies?
1: Oh, wow. So the babies actually uh, go, they do go into foster care for about 30 days because we do allow moms 30 days to change their mind. You know, some of these women make this out of of desperation, and we don't want them to not have the option to come back if they choose. Um, But within 30 to 45 days, these babies are placed with their forever families. Um, and then, of course, the adoption process starts. But these babies, uh, all of them are adopted. None of them linger in foster care, which is kind of a misconception. Um, all of our babies have been adopted. And, um, and there's actually a waiting list for safe haven babies. Um, mm. So, you know, it, it, it truly is not only saving a child's life, but it's also making a family.
0: Uh, it's, it's just incredible, um, Monica. If you could inspire folks to do one thing today, what would it be?
1: Oh wow! If I could inspire anyone, look, uh, look up. When things are tough, look up. You know uh, Isaiah six eight. Remember Isaiah was boldly asking Christ, "What what shall I do? Who should you know?" Christ was asking, "Who shall I send?" And I'm not a pastor. I always screw up the scripture when I start talking about it. I'm one of those people. But you know, Isaiah boldly asked, "What shall I do? You know, use me, lord and And so, if I could inspire anyone, it would be to 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 lift up and say, "What would you like me to do, christ? because if if you have a plan for me, give me the tools, and I will do it for you and And that's what i would I would hope people would do is turn their focus to Christ because he will never abandon you. He always has your back.
0: Amen. Um, I just love you already. Uh, My sister, uh, I just, I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, The book is Blessed to Have Been Abandoned. The story of the baby box lady, Monica Kelsey, is both the person uh, and the author. She is also the executive director of Safe Haven Baby Boxes. You can find uh, more information at shbb.org. We'll be right back. Um, yes, for those of you who are um, who are recognizing that this sounds like a familiar story, uh, yes, there was a movie called The Drop Box where uh, this this kind of storyline is featured, where a pastor found an abandoned infant on his church steps and then built a drop box to rescue others. The challenge that we face um, in in the United States of America is that. We have uh, laws that prevent people from legally, women from legally anonymously surrendering their babies. And so it's a criminal offense to put a baby in a box on the church steps. That's a criminal offense in America. And so um, we have to change the laws so that um, women who, as a last resort, Feel the need to abandon their child can do so in a way um, that is that is safe and legal so yes thank you for highlighting the Dropbox uh, it's an excellent film if you want to know more about just yes, you know the story of how this uh, can happen all right we have another hour of mornings with Carmen up next our dear friend and colleague Peter Kapsner is going to lead off and then we've got Mo Isom Aiken in the second half of the next hour We're going to talk about her new book, Fully Known. We're going to talk about drawing to a place of intimacy with God. Sometimes we feel like we're going through the motions or we feel disconnected or distant. Mo's going to talk about how to really draw near. How do we functionally find intimacy with the Lord our God? All that in the next hour. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.